0: Uh, Lord, uh, just thank you, and Lord, for reminding us that you're our Lord and that um, everything that the world has to offer just has to fade away. We just need to focus on you and just commit our hearts and our lives to you, uh, Lord. So that's awesome, and we just thank you for that, for that challenge, and um, thank you for just um, highlighting that through uh, the message tonight as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so I wasn't quite sure how to start um, tonight, but thanks to Sarah and the Lord for those songs were really, um, really awesome. And, you know, I was just thinking, you know, we're looking and we're in Galatians, uh, still in chapter one. I mean, it's hard to make any headway when, you know, you do it once a month, but um, we're going to be in, we're going to start in verse 11 of chapter one, but I, I just want to um, this is uh, it's really been an interesting look into Paul's um, you know in Paul's interaction um, in this in this first chapter and um, man it was just um, just so challenged so you know I was thinking is there just some random thoughts I wrote down and I found some quotes. And then we'll get into the word um, born again equals being born free, all right born free to be who we are in Christ, who God says we are and this is what paul is is doing in this first chapter he's letting these these Judaizers, these legalists know um, you know who he is in Christ, and uh, you know that um, everything that he is, is because of what God has done in his life. And it's just, um, just it's, it's interesting to see the way he handles these guys. Um, something that I realized this week, and um, I'm sure you guys have known this all along, but it kind of stuck out in my head, um, that God doesn't clone believers. Right? We're different, unique in his sight. And if you if you doubt that, just... Stick with me a little longer, because Paul, who would have thought that this rabbi would not only write most of the, write the epistles in the New Testament, but actually get saved? So we're different, we're unique, and Paul's life is an example of that. And of course, your life is an example of that. God doesn't need to clone another John or another Pastor Richard or Martha. You know, God has called us to be individuals, and we shine as individuals for him. He uses who we are, the character that we have, the personality that we have. So talking about, we're gonna, I want to just read some quotes. Um, Emerson wrote, Whoso would be a man must be a nonconformist. I'm going someplace with this. Okay, bear with me. Um, John Raskin's art critic. He said, I fear uniformity. You cannot manufacture great men any more than you can manufacture gold. The German philosopher Schopenhauer wrote, we forfeit three-fourths of ourselves in order to be like other people. And then Francis Asbury, uh, first, first bishop of the Methodist Church, uh, prayed this over a deacon ordination. Oh, Lord, grant these brethren may never want to be like other people. You know, before I got saved, I always, you know, I would meet people or I would see people on TV and I would think, oh, you know, I, can't I be like that, you know, successful, you know the guy's good looking, or you know, you know, I don't know. Have you guys ever really that thought ever crossed your mind? Whatever, it's like to be him or her? That eh, maybe it's just me, but it's a thought that goes through my mind. But um, it's just it, it, you got to get comfortable in your own skin. Who God has, who who you know, what God is developing in you, your character. Um, of course there's a kind of individualism that destroys instead of fulfills right but in a society accustomed to interchanging parts it's good to meet a man like paul who dared to be himself in the will of god you know and that's a to dare to be yourself in the will of god that's a challenging statement but paul did it and we're going to see it as we go through the book and get into the first chapter but have you ever given that any thought? You dare to be yourself in the will of God. Not to be like anybody else, not to put on any airs, not to try to impress anybody, just being who you are in Christ. Takes a lot of the pressure off, right? Just being who you are, because God has called you and is doing something that is unique in you. And Paul is going to be explaining to these legalists, hey, look, <laughs> God did all of this in me. God's the one who called me. God's the one who ordained me. God's the one who called me to be an apostle. You know, he puts, it's, it's all the Lord. And we're going to see that as we move on. Paul's freedom in Christ, his message was a threat to those who found safety in conformity. Safety in conformity. Now, before, I didn't put these no, these verses in my notes, but conformity, well, here, before I read those, let me, conformity means the fitting in, following the crowd, um, running with the pack, swimming with the stream, going with the flow. All right, that's conformity. Now, nonconformity is a, Failure or refusal to conform to the prevailing rule or practice. A lack of similarity in form or type. So Paul's enemies pointed to his nonconformity as a proof that his message and his ministry were not of God. They're saying, Paul, you can't. You can't. You can't be called of God. Look at you. Look at your background. Look who you are. Look what you've done. Paul refused to buy into any of that. And, you know, the first worship song really just kind of drove this point home even more in my head. But Paul refused to conform to the Judaizers. He, You know, when he got saved, keep in mind, he didn't even go to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles right away. What did he do? He went out into the to the desert. You know, conformity. You know, it's it's easy to get caught up in that. It's easy to be caught up in that. So, there's a few verses that kind of deal with that as believers and you probably know what they are. Romans 8:29. It says, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the first born among the brethren. So we're called to be conformed into the image of his son. Right? How about Romans twelve two? And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're called to be transformed by the word of God and conformed into the image of Christ. And that's what Paul did. And that's what he's in a roundabout way explaining um, to the folks in Galatia. You know, their claim was they argued that Paul They he claimed to be an apostle they argued, but he doesn't stand in the apostolic tradition. You know, he wasn't, he didn't fit the mold of what an apostle should be should be like. And we, we'll get to Um, Paul's calling and all that because it was unique and it was different and there's a huge challenge today for believers to be pressured into conforming to what's going on in our society today in fact it's the pressure is unrelenting you either conform or you get labeled or you get canceled and um, you know I'm not going to expound on it I mean we all live it's we live in this environment today, but conformity and a man-pleaser go hand in hand, and Paul was neither one, and that's what they were accusing him of. Paul was definitely not a man-pleaser. His ministry didn't come from man. We saw that last time in Galatians 1.1, nor did his message come from man. We're going to look at that today in verse 12. His heart's desire was to please Christ. So Paul wasn't a man pleaser; he was a God pleaser. Right, how about us? You know what is? You know Do we, do we cave into the the pressure to conform? You know that last song, "Jesus Draw Me Closer." Um, you know what? I took a picture of it. You can tell I'm a very technical person. Yes, Pastor Richard, I heard that. (laughs) Jesus, draw me closer, closer, Lord, to you. Let the world around me fade away. You know, it just doesn't fade away. You know, it takes some effort for that fading away to happen, right? It's a choice. We have to make a choice to... Let the world fade away and be conformed into the image of Christ. We have to make a choice, a decision to allow the word of God to conform us into the image of Christ. So important for us to do that. Paul said in verse 10 of chapter 1, For I do not please men, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please the men... I would not be a servant of Christ. You can't serve man and God. You're going to serve one or the other. You can't do both. You can't do both. And this is just part of the, why, you know, Paul's life should just challenge us. Because he just put it all out there. He put it all out there. So Paul was a leader, but he also, he was always a bondservant of Christ. First and foremost, the reason why he was such a good leader and was so um, effective in ministry is because he was a bondservant of Christ. He, you know, his, his life, he was sold out to Christ, to serve Christ. And, it, you know, it, we, you know, that's the way you... That's the way you get to be like a guy like Paul, right? you just sold out to the Lord, you know? It's, for me, I, I think I complicated it a little too much. But when you, we're going to look at what Paul is saying, it's just a matter of fact. It's just um, a choice, a choice. So is it our heart's desire um, to glorify God in our lives? Um, that's what Paul said in verse 5, to whom be glory forever and ever. The glory all went to the Lord. So it's, it's this misrepresentation that Paul answers in this section of Galatians. His nonconformity was divinely deliberate. And so was ours. God had chosen to reveal himself in a different way to Paul and through Paul. And think about that. Um, you know, Paul is going to be instrumental in going to the Gentiles. Um, that's something different, right? When you think of um, considering the message was to the Jew first. Paul is going to be going to the Gentile. And even the Judaizers, some of the, the Jews that got saved and still were pushing for circumcision and in, in the law. You know, you can see how they were really frustrated with Paul. He's not conforming to the way things should be. You know, how could God call? God didn't call that guy. Look at him. He's, he's, he's out of his mind. Look at the stuff he's saying. That's not what we're supposed to be saying. That's not what we do. You see how it didn't fit? And it's interesting. Today, you can make a statement that people have believed for thousands of years. And people look at you like, oh, Really? You know what? We want to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, transformed by the word of God. So um, Galatians 2, and we're actually going to get into Galatians 1. but In Galatians 2, 6 through 10, it talks about how Paul was used differently to go to the Gentiles and that Peter was going to go to the Jews. It says, but from those who seem to be something, whether they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. So you you could see the attitude that he has. You know, it's just, um, you know, whatever God said. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter... For the, for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. So you can see a little bit of Paul's mindset, his heart. You know, he knew God called him to the circle. You know, to the Gentiles, and um, you know it, he was committed to go, and that Peter was committed to go to to the Jew. And it's, you know, it, it wasn't um, it wasn't a popular thing, at first, uh, to go um, to go to the Gentiles. Um, you know, keep in mind. Um, well, Acts, chap- you know, Peter was involved obviously um, with the Gentiles in Acts chapter ten. So Peter had a part in it as well, but it was just something that was so different. But let's get into, let's read verses eleven and twelve of chapter one. So this is Paul, you know, making his case to um, the legalist. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the revelation of Jesus Christ, there's, um, I could try to pronounce the, the Greek words to you, but it would only be Greek to you, right? It might not even sound like Greek. But the thought is that in the Greek, there could be an objective genitive and a, you know, a a revelation concerning Jesus or a subjective genitive, a a revelation from Jesus Christ. So when Paul is talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ, um, you know, both of these um, fit the context, Paul's revelation of Jesus Christ enabled him to see what Christ, that Christ was God's Son. In verse 16, we'll see that. It says, to reveal his son in me. The revelation of Jesus Christ enabled Paul to see that Jesus is the sole object of our faith. And that is in uh, chapter 2, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And the revelation of Jesus Christ enabled Paul to see that Jesus is the unique source of oneness of all believers. Whether Jew or Greek, a bond or free, male or female, right? Galatians 3 Verses 27 and 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. So Paul received his knowledge by revelation. In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 3, Paul said, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Ephesians 3.3 How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have written briefly. So Paul was an independent witness to the gospel. And although he had received... This is really interesting. He had received no instruction, no instructions directly from the apostles, but only from the Holy Spirit, and all of his teachings agreed with theirs. I think that's pretty interesting. You know, we know that God is in control. We know that God orchestrates things, you know, everything that happens, and just take a second to think about that. They had no communication, but yet when it came down to it, it was everything was in line. You know what Paul taught and what they taught; it was all it all fit together. You know, God is in control. Don't don't ever doubt that. I mean, God is in control. He's the one that's orchestrating things. You know, we look at um, you know the world today and we think, oh, it's crazy. What's going to happen? Um, you know. I know what the Bible says, and I know that God is the one that's still in control. And, um, you know, we might hear things that we don't like or um, we don't feel comfortable with. I mean, the other day I was um, listening to a mirror, and they were talking about, you know, the the United States is really slowly but surely going to have to kind of fade out of the world scene you know, as a world power. And so I got to thinking about that, you know, and, and then the Lord just said, well, Dave, I, I have it all under control. You know, everything that's going to happen, is we, it's all there in the Word. You know, we might not know the, the exact time or dates or, you know, some of the minute details, but it's all, God is in control. So however it happens, we have that peace within us to know that. All right, so I'm getting off a little bit from my notes, but I just want you guys to know that. And this is a perfect example of it. Paul goes out into the desert, comes back, and starts preaching, and it lines right up with what the apostles are teaching. You know, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. So let's move on. Let's, uh, I'm going to just read verses 11 and 12 again and then get into 13 and 14. But I, you know, make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was it taught. Was I taught it? But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, in these verses, Paul states and restates the theme that his message and his ministry are of divine origin. He didn't invent the gospel, he didn't alter the gospel, nor did he receive it from men, but he received the gospel from Jesus Christ, right? Both his message and his apostolic ministry were divinely given. So the best way for Paul to prove this point is to reach into his past and remind the Galatian Christians of the way God had dealt with him. Um, Very different, (laughs) miraculously, um, but you know what? God can do what he wants. And I heard last Thursday night that God's pretty smart. All right, Pastor Mark made sure we understood that. You know, God's smart. He knows what's going on. We need to, you know, we need to wise up and pay attention to what God is saying. You know, so Paul is going to make his point. So what Paul is going to do, he's going to restate that his past life was already known to his readers, uh, but it wasn't obvious, but it was obvious that they, the Galatians, didn't fully understand what those experiences meant. Um, that his transformation was an act of God by the grace of God. And that's true for us, right? God is working in us, God's saving us. It's an act of God. It's by the grace of God. So what Paul does, and I'm not sure how far we'll get. There's three points. So what Paul does is he uses three pictures from his past as evidence that his apostleship and his gospel are truly of God. So the first one is a picture of, of Paul, the persecutor of the church. The second one is going to be a picture of Paul, the believer. And then the last one is a picture of Paul, the preacher. So let's look at Paul, the persecutor of the church. In verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure, and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul begins his past conduct as an unconverted Jewish rabbi. And I know in the introduction a while back when we got into um, Galatians, some of the references, if you want to um, look back at, you know, some of the stuff that Paul commented about um, his life prior to getting saved is Acts 22, Acts 26, and Acts 9. You can get a little bit of that background. But in his historical recap, Paul points out his relationship to the church in Galatians one 1.13 that he persecuted the church, that he persecuted it and to the religion of the Jews and Galatians, um, the next verse in verse 14, how he advanced Judaism. So he persecuted the church and he advanced Judaism. And you, you see Paul actually thought that Jesus was another imposter and his message of salvation was a lie. Paul looked at the church as heretics. He was sure that God had spoken through Moses, but how could he be sure that God had spoken through Jesus of Nazareth? You know, these are things that went through his mind, and he's making these points to these accusers, these people that are accusing of him, you know, as being a nonconformist, how he's, you know, he's coloring out of the lines, if you will. But Paul is making a good point. So steeped in Jewish tradition, young Saul of Tarsus championed his faith. His reputation as a zealous persecutor of the church, of the sect of the Nazarenes, became known far and wide. You know, Paul's reputation preceded him. In Acts 9, verses 13 and 14, when Ananias is replying to the Lord after the Lord told him, Hey, you know... Saul is here in Damascus. Could you go? I have a message for him. You know, and Ananias is like, whoa. You know, so what's he say in verse 13 and 14? Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And there he has authority from the chief priests to bind all those who call on your name. So, you know, Paul was a persecutor. He had a reputation. People knew that that's who he was. That's the kind of guy he was. Everybody knew that this brilliant student of Rabbi Gamiel, he was on the fast track of, you know, just moving right up the ladder in Judaism. His personal life, his scholarship, and you could, there's reference to that in Acts 26... Um, And his zeal in opposing um, any any religious faith that would, you know, oppose Judaism, you know, all combined to make him the most respected young rabbi of his day. So this is the mindset. This is what people know about Paul or Saul. But God, (laughs) but God, then something happened to Saul of Tarsus. The persecutor of the church became Paul the Apostle, the preacher of the gospel. Now, that's kind of happened to us, right? I mean, because I I was thinking, I didn't persecute the church before I got saved, but I didn't really care much about it, right? I didn't think, you know, I, I don't know what kind of background that you guys had, but I grew up Catholic. And, you know, as soon as I didn't have to go to church with my dad anymore, I just stopped going. You know, and, you know, God just, you know, was that like an afterthought, I guess. But, you no, know, I was going to make a point about that. Yeah, Paul, um, Paul persecuted the church. He couldn't stand the church. Like I said, and then he became a preacher, he got saved, and that's basically what happened to us, anti-church, anti-God in a sense, not that he didn't exist, we knew existed, we just didn't understand the whole thing, and then we go from that to preaching the gospel. You know, so Paul's on a little on a bigger scale, but it's still amazing to know that um you know, that God showed up and changed Paul's life, and he did the same to us. God showed up in our lives and changed our lives. So how could the Judaizers explain this sudden transformation in Paul's life? So one question. Was Saul's remarkable about-face caused by his own people, the Jews? <laughs> I don't think so, right? The Jews were encouraging Saul in his program to persecute the church, to arrest Christians. So, another question was Saul's change caused by the Christians he was persecuting? Well, you know, they prayed for him, right? No doubt. Um, Stephen's testimony had an effect on Paul, so, you know, that could be a consideration. You know, but if you read Acts, 8, beginning of Acts 8 and kind of the middle of Acts 9, you can see Christians are running from Paul, trying to get away from Paul. So I don't think that was it. So the logical question would be, but if the amazing change in Paul's life was not caused by the Jews or the church, then who caused it? And the answer is kind of obvious, right? It had to be God. It had to be God. And Paul is just trying to work this out with these folks to let them know. It had to come from God. And that's Paul's point. But God. No matter how you look at it, the conversion of Paul was a work of God. It was humanly impossible for Rabbi Saul to become the Apostle Paul apart from the miracle of God's grace in his life. And we're here today by that same, that same route. You know, God reaching into our lives, saving us by his grace. So Paul is reinforcing his point in verses 11 and 12. And we read that a few times. But no mere human message could affect such a change that happened in Paul's life. Paul's argument is conclusive. His past conduct as a persecutor of the church plus the dramatic change that he experienced prove that his message and ministry are from God. And, you know, I've... uh, This, you know, this is so evident in your lives as well. You know, I um, I was at a, a funeral a couple years ago, and my old high school football coach was there. So you know, we're walking out of the funeral parlor. So he says, "Hey, Dave. You know, so what's going on? You know, I haven't seen you. You know, you know, just typical. You know, how you doing? Kind of thing." He says, "So what are you doing now? You know, what what are you, what are you up to?" So I said, "Well, I'm a, I'm a pastor." No, he said, "Come on, seriously. You know." You know, what What are you doing? I mean, are you working? So I, and I still call him by Mr. So I, I thought, no, I am. I'm a, I'm a pastor. He says, come on. You know, but, you know, so, I mean, we're looking at this with Paul, too, and, I, you know, we can relate to that. You know, we can relate to that. They, you know, they looked at Paul, and Paul is saying, hey, wait, you guys knew me. You knew the way. You knew who I was. And now I'm totally different. You think I did this? This is all a work of God in my life. You know, and basically, isn't that the the end result for all of us? You know, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's like my Popeye verse, I am what I am. But I like, you know, I am what I am. I am who I am today by the grace of God. And that's what Paul is saying. And we need to keep that in, right in the forefront of our mind because um, it isn't anything that we've done. I mean, obviously, we had to make that choice. But, you know, God is just so gracious. And Paul is, is driving home that point. He's driving home that point. So hmm. all right, let's, let's look at um, the second point and we'll see how far we get. Paul the believer, and this is verse uh, 15, part of verse 16 and verse 24, so I'll read them to you because we're going to bounce around a little. But when it pleased God, I love that phrase, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. And then drop down to verse 24, and they glorified God in me. So, but God, it says, but when it pleased God, that's Paul's point. Only God, like we were saying, only God can change me. Only God can transform me from one persecuting the church to a believer. That amazing transformation right paul refused to to be conformed to the you know he just it's like he just stepped out of that old life stepped out of religion and really walked right into a relationship with Jesus Christ and you you know you think that all of those years that he he you know i mean god used you know god used a lot of that cuz i mean paul really knew the old testament right i mean and all of the epistles you know god god used that but just to think all of that striving, all of that work, all of that—you know—and just to you know, just to realize one day, on you know, on the road to Damascus, that it was all for nothing. In a sense, he was never any closer to God. God had to um, really knock him off that donkey and just start from square one with him, and that's what he's done with us. All right. So having discussed his past character and conduct, Paul now explains his conversion. For after all, it was the turning point in his life. The whole pivotal point of, you know, what these folks are accusing him of doing, um, of not conforming, not following the rules. And, um, you know, Paul is going to be telling them that, yeah, yeah, everything, things have changed. Things have changed. So in these verses, Paul explains the characteristics of his conversion experience. And there's going to be a lot of God did it in this, in this section. God, you know, because really, God did it. right? God did it. Verses 15, the beginning of verse 15 and 16. It pleased God to reveal his son in me. God did it. Whenever Paul spoke or wrote about his conversion, it's always with emphasis on the fact that God did the work, right? Jonah tells us that salvation is of the Lord. You know, God did the work. God did it by grace. Verse 15, he called me through his grace. Salvation is by God's grace, not man's efforts or character. The mysteries of God's sovereign will and man's responsibility to obey are not fully um, revealed to us. We know that God is not willing that any should perish, in 2 Peter 3.9, and that those who trust Christ discover that they have been chosen in him before the foundations of the world, Ephesians 1.4. But God's the one who does the work. God did it. God does it. We're here today because God did a work in your life. God flipped the switch, and everything changed. Everything changed for, for the good, right? God did it through Christ, verse 16, to reveal his son in me. In Philippians, Paul makes it clear that he had plenty to boast about when he was an unconverted man. And, you know, Paul goes through his whole portfolio You know, he had religion, he had self-righteousness, as well as a reputation and recognition. But guess what? He didn't have Christ. You can gain the whole world, but what good is it without Christ? You know, everything that Paul had, he was, you know, on the, really, on on the road to success, right? He could have, you know, I think there are some historians out there that think that he could have taken, been his, as prominent as Gamaliel was, as far as the Jewish faith. But Paul realized that God did it. On the road to Damascus, Paul saw his own self-righteous rags contrasted or contrasted to the righteousness of Christ. And he realized what he was missing. Because Paul said in Philippians 3, 7, but what things were gained to me, those I count loss for Christ. You know, and we've heard these verses a lot. But, you know, I mean, there these things, you know, they have to really ring true in our heart. You know, there's, it's kind of stuff that you really have to ponder or meditate on. You know, the other night I was, I couldn't go to sleep. So usually if I can't sleep, I go downstairs and I'll, make a glass of chocolate milk, and find something to eat with it. So I put on worship music, and I'm just kind of fellowshipping with the Lord. You know, and I just started to think about some of the stuff that I heard Amir say and things like that. And it turned out to really be um, just a really awesome time with the Lord because it was, you know, I'm just sitting there listening to the worship music and just kind of having a conversation with the Lord. And, you know, I don't think I settled a lot of issues in my head, but I just was comforting to know that God was there listening. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was just the sense that, you know, my relationship, you know, to know. You know, and I know this is going to sound weird, but try to understand what I'm saying. I think that's one of the ways that we have to cultivate our relationship. You know, we have to get something to eat, a little snack, and just say, okay, Lord, here I am. And spend that kind of time with them. You know, and I had you know, had some worship music on low, but I didn't even have my Bible open. Just trying to understand, you know, running some things before the Lord and just trying to get this stuff into my heart and, into, you know, in my head, into my heart to, you know, try to understand, you know, really, God, how should I respond? What should I be doing? How should I be, um, as, as a pastor, how do you um, ingest what's going on in the world and not seem like an alarmist, but encourage people to keep their eyes on you, Lord? And I just want to encourage you guys, take that kind of time. I mean, you could do it during regular hours of the day. Sometimes I can't sleep, I do it. But if, if take some time to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to just take a half hour and just spend it with you. And, you know, if you could see his face, he probably would have a big smile on his face. Yeah, come on, let's do that. So, you know, Paul, um, you know, he was lost, but once he got saved, everything that he thought was important, all of his goals and aspirations, the things that... You know, he thought that he needed, didn't need it. He had Christ. So God revealed Christ to Paul and in Paul and through Paul. So the Jews' religion had been an experience of outward rituals and practices, but faith in Christ brought about an inward experience of reality with the Lord. And this inward, inwardness of Christ is a major truth with Paul. He'll write later on in you know, Galatians 2.22, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. You know, I when 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 these realities actually for the first time hit you, I mean they altered your life. Think of Paul. You know, here's a guy who had you know was there encouraging people to stone Stephen. You know, he was the one trying to persecute and destroy the church, and now he gets saved, and everything changes. It's just amazing to see that, and um, and we experience the same thing. We experience it's the same God deals with us the same way, and then God did it for the sake of others. In chapter and verse sixteen. He revealed his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God chose Paul not only to save him, but also to use him to win others. And, you know, that's so true for us today. God saved us so we can reach others. You know, we have that that ministry of reconciliation. Um, In the Bible, the doctrine of election is never taught with a view of producing pride or selfishness. Election involves responsibility. God chose Paul to preach among the Gentiles the same grace that, is, that he experienced. So what Paul was just sharing with the Gentiles, what the Lord gave him. This in itself was evidence that Paul's conversion was of God, For certainly a prejudiced Jewish rabbi would never decide on his own to minister to the despised Gentiles. Just another proof. And God did it for his glory. Verse 24, And they glorified God in me. So as a fanatical rabbi, Paul had all the glory of men that he could want. But he was doing it Not to glorify God, but to get the praise of men. You know, man was created to glorify God. Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who was called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Man is saved to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Bringing glory to God was a compelling motive in Paul's life and ministry, and I pray that it's a compelling motive for our lives as well. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for uh, just the opportunity to, to get a, a just a look into uh, Paul's life, um, his response uh, to your working in him and through him. And Lord, um, we're so thankful, God, that you're no respecter of persons, Lord, that you want to do the same thing. Um, in and through us. And, um, you know, Paul has kind of given us a glimpse into what it takes, and it's surrendering our will to your will. It's um, wanting to um, have more of you and less of us just uh, being totally sold out to you, Lord. And, and God, I pray that we would, um, we would take that time to just allow you to search our hearts, to... Um, minister to us, Lord, give us direction, Um, help us to see things in our lives that maybe we need to alter, Um, Lord, maybe just encouragement from you just to keep doing what we're doing, Lord, but to spend that time, to have that um, personal time, that one-on-one fellowship uh, with you, and Lord, we are just so thankful that 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 pathway is open to your throne of grace, Through Jesus. And uh, we praise you and thank you for that. And I pray, God, we would uh, wear out a path to that throne of grace, Lord, just to spend that time with you. So be with us, uh, Lord, as we travel home. uh, Keep us safe. And Lord, um, should we, um, you give us tomorrow, Lord, I pray, God, that we would uh, be mindful of your presence and uh, just live out our day in a way that would glorify you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.